this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. several people today for the first time. So if you're here for the very first time, thank you. Thanks for joining us. I know that uh, coming to a new church and, and showing up can be really scary. And so if you haven't heard it yet, I want you to hear it now. You're loved. And we're really thankful you're here because nothing we do matters if we're not doing it for people like you who don't have a church home or maybe are questioning, does Jesus love me? The answer is yes. And in this place, we want you to hear God's word over and over and over again that he's here for you. Whether it's your first time or you've been here a thousand times, that, that would be impressive since we're not that old. But either way, however often you've been here, we, I want you to hear from God this very central truth. He loves you. And you are never too far gone. No matter where you've been or where you are or where you will be, he is here for you. As a church, we've been going through the series called Letters from God, where we've been examining these letters that he wrote to his church in the book of Revelation. See, this longing inside each one of us to hear from God, we only find his answers and his response through this word that he has written through ordinary people. This word that he's given to us that we might believe in him and the things that he's done and the things that he's still doing. So here in the book of Revelation, as we began with these letters, God writes to the church in Ephesus and he, he tells them, you guys are doing a really good job of getting it all right. Uh, they're concerned with maybe people saying the wrong things or believing the wrong things, and God praises them. He says, good job holding to the right doctrine, having the right truth. But here's what you're missing out on. You failed to love. He says, look, you need to return to your first love, which we said was maybe the love of God or maybe the love of your neighbor. Return to doing those things you once did that demonstrated what you believe. See, it doesn't matter if, you're, if you have all the right ideas or opinions or thoughts. If you're a jerk, nobody's willing to listen. All right? So, so we talked that God's desire for his church is that not only would we hold to what is right, but that we would love and we would be okay with being wronged because we're right. We're right before him, and so it's okay if people come against us and say things that are hurtful or do things that are hurtful. We can take that as an act of love for them. And then in the second letter, the one we looked at last week, he write, Jesus writes to his church, and he says, Look, I know the struggles you guys are going through, and here's what I have against you. 
you guys are afraid. Afraid of this suffering and this pain and this persecution that may come. And last week I shared very real struggle with anxiety and worry and the fear of what if. And if you're here and that's your struggle and maybe all week long that's where you've been even after that message, let me tell you again, you will be okay. We will be okay. See, God is God and we are not. And so whatever happens will be okay because he loves us. And if you're overcome by fear and you're worried and anxiety has riddled your life, here's the promise for you. God is with you and he is for you. And he's promised that it will be a fight. But when we conquer and we trust in him anyway, and we trust in his goodness in spite of our worry and our fear and our doubt, he's promised to give us this life. This life that's everlasting, this life that doesn't just come later when we die, but even today, this life that comes through this community, his people. Today, as we look at these letters from God, we're going to get into another thing that's really challenging. You see, all of these letters, all of this book of Revelation, the whole book there is for one purpose, to reveal Jesus, the one who was crucified, who is risen from the dead, who is king of kings, alpha and omega, beginning and end, the one who reigns above all else. This whole book of Revelation is to show us the king who truly is king, that we not only trust in, but we follow after, and we hope in when things don't seem to line up with it. And in this king, as we see this king, Revelation in each of these letters also paints this picture. In each one of these letters to the church, God says, you're doing something right, but you're also doing something wrong. And today what we're going to look at with uh, what he says we're doing wrong is what I've, I've deemed, I've called the religious buffet. Anybody ever been there? All right. It's like that all-you-can-eat buffet where you just get to pick and choose the things you want that fit with your understanding that you like. Anybody know anybody like this? Your faith is your own. Your truth is your truth. Believe what you want to believe. It doesn't really matter as long as you're a generally good person, right? Unfortunately, that's not the case. There is a truth that is always true. There is a truth that is often uncomfortable. There is a truth that often challenges our truth. And this is what Jesus writes to the church. If you want to follow along, we'll be in the book of Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergam, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. 
If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Jesus writes these letters, and they're kind of weird and sometimes a little confusing. It starts out, uh, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. If you remember in the first chapter of this book, John, the one who received this letter, the disciple of Jesus, John, describes how he received this revelation from God. This incredible, crazy, super bizarre, pretty scary vision where God shows up. And he describes who this God is. And one of the descriptors of this God is that he has a two-edged sword in his mouth. Now, as we talked about, this book is filled with metaphor and imagery that's to point us to something else. And so here he's saying, look, these are the words of that one who was described earlier. The one with the sword in his mouth. That's who's speaking now. And and all of those descriptors, like the sword in his mouth, his two-edged sword, all of these things are pointing to various attributes of who Jesus is. When I introduced this book, I said that this two-edged sword was pointing to his authority to execute judgment. Jesus begins his letters, these are the words of the one who has authority to execute judgment. These are the words of the one who can judge all things. Now, before we go much further, if I started out a letter to you, these are the words of a judge. What do you think's coming next? Rarely something good, right? Here's uh, the words of a judge typically means judgment has been passed and there's trouble to come, but not totally here. He speaks first with praise in verse 13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You see, this city was one filled with all kinds of thrones to other gods, all kinds of altars to other uh, deities, including altars to the emperor as king. Where Satan's throne is was probably a reference to this group of people who wanted the church to worship someone or something other than Jesus. In fact, he goes on, he's like, I know how faithful you were. Even when Antipas, who we don't know who this guy is, there's no really other record of him. Even when he was martyred, when he was killed for faith, you guys held firm. See, if you remember the church before, it was their fear of suffering, their fear of pain that God rebuked. He said, look, you're allowing your fear to hold you back from the things I'm doing. Be faithful. This church was being faithful in the face of some very scary things, but only kind of faithful. He gives this praise and then he gives this judgment. I have a few things against you in verse 14, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. If you 
aren't familiar with Balaam and Balak, Balak was a king in the Old Testament. He was a king in the book of Numbers. And as the people of God had been delivered from slavery, they wandered in the desert. God used that time to strengthen them and prepare them that they could go into his promised land. This land where there would be great blessing, where he would be their God and and they would be his children, where he'd be with them always, where even women who are suffering would never suffer and there would no longer be miscarriage, right? Clearly a time they've not entered into yet fully. There is this great promise of the land and Balak was a king in the land they were supposed to go into and was terrified because he'd seen their strength and seen their God do great things and he knew if their God is truly who he says he is, I'm in trouble. And my kingdom's going to come crashing down. And everything I've built for myself in my name will fall apart. So Balak did what a lot of kings would do at the time. He hired a prophet to go and curse these people. Balaam was this prophet for sale. For the right price, he'd go and he'd speak whatever you wanted spoken. You want a curse, he'll speak a curse. You want a blessing, he'll speak a blessing. Whatever God you want it to be in, that's okay. I'll do it on that God's name so that way it works for you and I can get paid. So Balak goes to Balaam and he says, please curse the people of Israel. And Balaam is unable to. God shows up and is like, you can't do that. I'm not gonna let you curse my people. And so Balaam instead speaks a promise, a blessing. And Balak is mad. He's like, I didn't pay you to bless them. I paid you to curse them. It's like, I I can't do that. God has promised to be with them, but here's what you can do. And he teaches Balak, look, you will not succeed to come against these people by just trying to curse them. No, if you want to tear these people down, if you want to succeed and have strength over them, here's what you need to do. Teach them to embrace your way of living. Teach them to practice your practices, to worship your gods to practice the sexual immorality that you're practicing. Teach them that, and they will fall on their own. They don't need you to curse them. So per Balaam's suggestion, Balak begins to put out these little messages, like encouraging people, hey, it's okay to do the wrong thing, as long as you're not harming anybody. It's okay to believe your truth, as long as we're just kind of living peacefully together right? As long as your truth doesn't come against my truth, that's fine. Jesus says this, look, I know that you have some among you who are holding to the teaching of Balaam. The teaching that says, it's okay what you believe. I just don't want to offend you. It's okay what you think is right. I just don't want to harm you. Sometimes when it comes to our faith, we have this attitude. Right? Like your truth is your truth, but my truth is personal. It's private. Don't talk to me about religion. Right? What are the things you should not bring up on Thursday while eating turkey? Politics and religion. Because both will cause a fight and you won't be welcome back next year. Okay? Just a word of advice from me. But we have this idea that we can just kind of pick and choose the Jesus or the faith that we like. So we emphasize certain elements of Jesus, certain attributes that are fitting with my understanding. I really love the loving Jesus. Like the one who's there for the, for the uh, woman caught in adultery. I, I love the Jesus who's there to forgive her and not condemn her. 
and we just want to associate ourselves with the woman caught in adultery. Clearly, Jesus is just here to love me and not condemn me. But then we forget about the Jesus who's also flipping tables or the Jesus who's saying things like, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Well, that Jesus sounds kind of uncomfortable because I don't know about you, but before I got married, I wasn't a very good man. In fact, now that I'm married, I'm still not a very good man, but I have a wife to help remind me of that regularly. It's great. Before I got married, I very much held to this idea that I could live with kind of a foot in both camps, right? I could be here as the Christian doing the things I think I'm supposed to do and acting the way I think I should act. And I could also be here as an individual who really liked to live in this world, having a lot of fun in a lot of ways that sometimes included drinking too much or having unhealthy relationships with people. But it was fine because it was consensual and it was fun, right? One of the things that Balaam taught was not just worship whatever God, but practice whatever practice. You do you. You live the way you want to live. That's okay. I'm sorry to tell you, you living the way you want to live will probably hurt you and inevitably hurt the people around you because you and I are broken by sin. And our very desires, our very hopes, the things we want to do are corrupted by this nature that can't do what is good. And when we embrace this idea that says, just pick and choose what parts of Jesus you want, it's really hurtful. If you've been around here before, or maybe as you walked in, you saw it on a sign, something we say often in this church and we deeply believe is come as you are. We don't believe God is waiting for you to fix your life or get it together or have everything put together in this nice, neat little package or stop sinning the way you used to sin. We don't think that in the least. God wants you exactly as you are. But there's another part of Jesus that sometimes we want to leave on the buffet and just let it stay there for somebody else. Jesus loves you too much to come as you are and stay as you are. He invites you to come as you are and become who you are. He invites you into his word and his promises and his will and his plan. That's better. And sometimes that requires us to say no to things we want to say yes to. To say no to things that are actually only temporary fun, but a long-term pain. Among those here that's listed and will be listed again in the next letter is sexual immorality. Sometimes saying yes to Jesus means denying myself and saying no to things that seem good at the time. It's not popular in this culture today. It's not popular in the church today. It's really popular to isolate specific sexual immorality, right? It's easy to say those sinners are really bad, but what about the rest of us? you've ever looked lustfully, you've committed adultery. See, Jesus says things that are often pretty uncomfortable. He says to his disciples, look, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I have no place to lay my head. Look, I'm not going to have an easy life and those who follow me, it will be hard for them too. He says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. 
Children will turn against fathers and and wives against husbands. If you follow me, things will be really hard. In fact, I'm going to ask you to take up your cross and deny yourself. Follow me. Sometimes in our religious buffet of picking and choosing, we like the parts where Jesus promises good stuff. We don't like the parts where he asks hard things of us, where he asks us to do things that maybe aren't very easy. It goes on from there. Not only does he refer to Balaam and Balak, he gives one more example. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, if you recall, this was mentioned two chapters ago in the letter, or not chapters, but two letters ago in the letter to Ephesus. He says, look, this is one thing I, I, I celebrate in you. You guys reject the Nicolaitans. That's good. Now, if you're not familiar with who they were, uh, they were a group of people that held to this idea that because we're forgiven, God's law no longer applies. Because we're forgiven, there is no set list of things that are good or bad that we should or should not do. We can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter because we're forgiven. Let me tell you this very clearly. Whatever you have done and even whatever you are doing and even whatever you will do, you will be forgiven for. That by no means means that you should keep doing those things. See, we have a God who wants you to become who he made you to be. To become more whole and more filled with his hope. More filled with his peace. More capable of loving. More able to serve. More willing to give. You ha- we have a God who wants you to be so much more than you are today. And he's not doing this in this legalistic sense, like fix yourself and get it right. But in a loving sense, like a father. I have two kids whom I love dearly most of the time. And these two kids, I want them to be more than I am. Like I want them to live not making my mistakes and not sinning in the way I sin. I want them to experience a better life than maybe I've experienced. And that doesn't mean I expect my son to grow up to be a pastor. Though, thanks to Liz at VBS, maybe you heard them shouting hallelujah earlier, right? It doesn't mean I expect them to grow up and be perfect and without sin, because that's impossible. But here's what I do hope. I hope that they see in me the change God has brought to me. And I hope in the way I discipline and teach and raise, they can experience a God who's better than what I knew when I was a child. Maybe you hope the same for your kids. Maybe you don't have kids, but your friends are hurting and struggling and kind of wondering, what is truth? Have you ever heard anybody ask that? Like, I want to know truth, but can we absolutely know something true? Or is everything just relative? It's just what's good for you is good for you. Unfortunately, the problem with relativism is who decides when the two things oppose each other? See, if whatever's true for you is true, what happens when your truth goes against my truth? For example, if your truth is that you worked hard for your money and it's yours, what happens if my truth is that I should take whatever I want and you should be willing to give it? Right? So you have a wallet full of cash and you should give it to me. Who's okay with that? Whose truth is right? And what if it's a bigger issue than just cash in your wallet, but maybe 
is this actually sin and possibly deserving of judgment? What happens if your truth says no way, but a truth that's not yours says absolutely? If everything is relative, there's nothing solid to stand upon. No firm foundation to cling to. Nothing we can hope in because everything changes based upon relativity. Jesus calls out this church. He says, look, you guys have embraced this slew of religious ideas. What's good for you is good for me. Whatever you want, you do. He says, you guys have embraced this. It's led to a lifestyle where you're embracing things that say, whatever you want to do, as long as you live the way you want, it's okay. But it's not. And it's not because he's angry and mean and judgmental. It's because he loves you. I know for my kids that if they just simply eat junk food all the time, their stomachs will hurt. And so sometimes I have to say no to the junk food that is delicious that I would prefer to be eating so they can eat the things that are healthy and good. Sometimes the things that bring us joy is temporary and actually painful in the end. Jesus is speaking to this church. He says, look, I know you guys have endured a lot of hardship. You guys have faithfully stuck strong, even in the face of all this pain, but here's what I have against you. You're okay with whatever other people think or want. You embrace this plurality that says, whatever's good for you is good for you. That's fine. And the truth is, that's not. He goes on and he says this, therefore, repent. To repent literally means to turn away from. And we hear repent in our culture today and we often think of those preachers on the street corner, right? Repent, you sinners, you're going to hell. Jesus isn't writing to people who are far from God. He's writing to his church, to you and to me, to people like us who are in faith. He says, look, repent. Turn around away from these wrong ideas and turn back to me, to the truth. And this is where that judgment gets a little scary. He says this, If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. In Hebrews, it tells us this about his word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is like this sword. When he speaks, it pierces us at our core. Jesus says, look, repent or else I'm going to come and speak. I'm going to come and intervene and it will hurt. I've never been pierced with a sword. I hope it doesn't happen physically, right? I have a cool sword at home that I have to keep up high so my kids don't pierce each other with the sword. Uh, You guys gave that to me. Thank you. But imagine hearing this from Jesus directly. Hey, you guys have been working really hard to persevere in difficult times. But in doing so, you've just acquiesced to say your truth is good for you and your way of living is fine. I don't, whatever goes for you. You've even embraced the idea that there is nothing wrong because you're forgiven. So just turn away from this idea. If you don't, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna speak a word that will cut you to your core. But there's hope. He goes on, he says, he who has 
has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him, or give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. A white stone was often given for those who were victors in athletic competitions, for those who ran races and won, who competed in these athletic battles and came out on top. They were given this stone, a symbol of victory. It says, look, to those who overcome, to those who, who recognize that not all truths are created equal, that not all lifestyles are equally good, that there are some things that are good and some that are bad, and to those who overcome, I will give you this stone of a victor. But not only that, stones were given in judicial trials. At the time, they were given white stones like a, a an innocence um, decree, right? You're no longer guilty. You are declared innocent before the law and we give you this white stone as proof that you are made right in the eyes of the law. Jesus says, look to the one who overcomes, who doesn't just eat this religious buffet and pick and choose the truth they want to believe in, to the one who holds fast to what I've said, who holds true to what is true, the one who overcomes, I'm gonna declare them innocent. All their sin. This is an incredible promise for you and for me. See, Jesus will come again and he will speak to us another word. And it will either be the word of his son on the cross, it is finished. Or this word that speaks the truth about our sin that we have not turned from. That we refuse to let go of. That we continue to believe is good for us even when it's not. So to the one who conquers, he will give us this new stone, that of a victor, of one made innocent. And he says this, a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. For you and for me, when we live in this life, believing your truth is fine for you and my truth is good for me, we miss out on the greatest truth that he says something better. Hey, come to me exactly as you are in all your brokenness and all your mess and all your sinfulness and all your wrong ideas and understandings. Bring them all before me. Let me show you still a better way. Let me show you still a greater way, that of love and of service. If you're here today and kind of wondering, well, in what ways have I believed your truth is good for you and my truth is good for me? Or in what ways if I embrace this lifestyle that says come as you are and stay as you are? I don't know what you've gone through or where you've been. But here's what I want to encourage you. What is it Jesus wants for you today? I believe for every one of us, it starts with this place of repentance. Hey God, I know that I have not trusted solely in you. Sometimes I trust in my job in my wealth, in my family. Sometimes I trust in a whole, I, whole bunch of different theologies and ideas about who you could be. But today we get to come back to trust in him. Jesus, you are the one who's conquered. You are the one who has authority to judge. And we get to hear today those words, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And now we get to stand not on any truth that seems good to us, but on him and his promises. For he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we come to him, 
not with our own terms and our own agenda. When we don't come and say, Jesus, I want the good things, but not the bad. But we listen to his word and we say, whatever you're about, help me to be about that too. If it's loving those who aren't like me, help me to love them. If it's serving those who seem less than me, help me to serve them. If it's trusting that you have made me new, even when my life is still a mess, help me to trust in that. And we get to cling to his word and hear that greater word, not one of judgment, but of hope and of peace. I don't know what buffet you've been eating from, whether you've selected all these things or not, but I'll tell you this, turn to him. He's enough and he will give you everything you will ever need, not just to be who you are, but to become who he made you to be. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are good. And God, we confess that at times like Balaam and Balak, God, we turn and we pursue all these other things. We set aside things that are good and call them bad. God, we take things that you call bad and we call them good. We often come against you thinking our way is the way. But God, you are good and true and your way is the only way. We pray, Lord, that today you'd help each one of us see who you made us to be the hope and the joy and the plans you called us to walk in. We ask that you'd help us to see the ways we're called to love and to serve and to give to others as you have given to us. And God, we ask that we'd let go of those things that are our way and not your way. God, would we let go of those things that are our truth and not your truth? And where it hurts, would you bring us comfort? Where it's difficult, would you give us support? But ultimately, God, would you, through this, help us to turn to be those who overcome, who are victorious and innocent by your word, that you have made us new. May we walk in your ways all of our days. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we asked something uncomfortable of you. Uh, last week as we got prepared for an offering, we said, if you're in physical need, you have a need that you would like the church to help you with, will you let us know? And we had several responses that came in. We've got four or five needs that are there uh, ready to be served now. And, and hopefully we'll get a few more this week. If you're here, whatever you're going through, whether things are really good or things are really hard, and you have a need whether it's meals or diapers or your leaves to be picked up, something you can't do on your own very well, will you ask us and let us know that we as a church can step out of these seats and into our streets, into our communities, into your life and help you where you are. You can go to thepointknox.com or go to the app and there you can, you can let us know how we can help and how we can serve. And next week, we're gonna take all of those opportunities that have come in and we're going to put those back to you and share with you not the person in need and their private information, but the needs that exist and say, these needs exist in our community. You can make a difference. And our hope is that this Christmas season, as we prepare for it, this holiday season can be one filled with love and service and caring for one another. Now, as we continue our worship with another song, uh, we're going to collect our offering. And we, we collect an offering in this place not because we need to do anything special to earn God's love or because he demands us give him his money or he even needs our money. 
Now we collect an offering in this place because he invites us to partner with him in the things he's doing, to serve those physical needs, to serve the other needs of our community, to make a difference in the lives of those who are hurting. And one of the ways we do that is through offering. So if you came prepared to give today, you can give at thepointknox.com or physically in these buckets. You can put your teal cards or your offering envelopes or anything you didn't use this morning back in those buckets as well. And we'll recycle them for next week. However you choose to give, remember this. You are loved deeply. So sometimes we decide to use the same video again for the same announcement. And what we didn't realize... The race is actually two weeks away, not three, all right? So in two Sundays, not next Sunday, the following Sunday, we're going to have this race. And so far, we're on track to have more runners than we've ever had before. And 100% of the proceeds, we give away to Second Harvest Food Bank for Kids. I recently did the math. Uh, So far in all of our years of doing runs like this and other things, we've given away just shy of 120,000 meals to our community. And I'm super excited for this next one because uh, we're on track to give even more this year than we've ever done before. So if you like to run or to dress up in ugly clothes or to volunteer to help other people have fun, uh, join us for that. And that Sunday, come to church in your ugly clothes Yeah. That's really fun. We want to see who can be the ugliest on Sunday morning. All right. Um, it's the only Sunday you're allowed to be ugly. Yeah. All right. So a couple of really good questions. This question came in actually on Friday. You can text in questions anytime during the week for us to address uh, at some point. If justification, that's the fancy word for being made right with God. If justification and forgiveness of sins are the same thing, and if we receive forgiveness of sins through the Lord's Supper, does that mean that every time I receive the Lord's Supper, I'm justified all over again? I don't know here's what I do know. Um, you, I, I, being here in the South, I often get asked the question, like, when did you get saved? And my answer is really simple. I got saved 2,000 years ago when Jesus died and rose again. Uh, that's it. <laughs> like, that's when salvation happens. Now, when did that become something meaningful for me? That's usually what people are asking. When did that begin to make a difference in my life? Well, yeah, there was a moment when that made a difference in my life, but it happened back then. Uh, when it comes to being forgiven over and over again, Anybody in here married or you've been married in the past? How many of you got married once and said, I love you on your wedding day and never said it again in the future? I hope not, because that's a really sad marriage, right? There's a truth that when we hear these words, I love you, it changes us. And likewise, when we hear these words, I forgive you, it changes us. And God isn't just going to forgive us once and like, okay, now you're done. Because what happens when you screw up later? He's still forgiving you. He's still giving it to you over and over and over again. He's a God whose grace is so gracious and so great that he will give it to us every single time in total abundance, far more than we ever need. Because that's how good he is. So are you justified again? I don't know because you didn't lose that. Are you forgiven again? Well, yeah, absolutely. You're forgiven again for all the things you've done and are doing and will do in the future. There's also another question. Uh, if a person willfully commits a sin, does that mean they, forfully, or they forfeit their salvation until they repent again? I don't think so. Because none of us can ever go a period of time without sinning. We're just filled with it. It's like saying if a person has blood in their body, uh, you know, like you can't not have blood in your body and still be alive, right? 
You have to, they go hand in hand. You can't ever live in a time without sin in your life. So whether you willfully do it or you accidentally do it or you don't even know you're doing it, you're going to sin. Now, if you willfully sin, I will say there's a caution throughout scripture. We can't earn our salvation, but we can push it away. We can say, Jesus, I want to trust in myself and not in you. I want to do it my way and insist on my truth and not your truth. And so the caution would be, if you're willfully sinning, saying, it's okay, it doesn't matter, I'll be forgiven, be aware you might not be. If you're willfully sinning, going, I don't want to sin, but I just keep doing it, help me, God, he certainly will. I don't know if that answers your question. Let's talk more if it doesn't. Uh, also, if you don't have any plans for Thanksgiving, the Beard and Beer Market is doing another Friendsgiving this year. Um, we, for various reasons, aren't partnering with them this year. Maybe it'll work next year to partner with them again. Um, but they're doing another one. So if you don't have any plans for Thanksgiving Day, you can have Thanksgiving at the Beard and Beer Market with other people. Uh, what is the opposite or absence of fear? I think faith. Like believing but you can have faith and fear, so I don't actually know the opposite. If you have a better answer, I'll take it. Um, love? love? Perfect, Perfect love that casts out all fear? Yeah. Peace? Uh, I think there's a lot of things that could be the opposite. And uh, I don't know that there's any one specific opposite. If there is, let me, courage, maybe? I don't know. I'd like to go there. You'd like to go to that place without fear? Yeah. Yeah, me too someday. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, Siri's going to tell us. She said the opposite's anger. Oh. Nope, that doesn't seem fitting. All right, Siri, you fail. Um, all right, will the point have Wednesday Advent services? Yes, we will. So starting next week, uh, this week we have Thanksgiving. It's going to be fun. Uh, then next Sunday is the beginning of December. And the following Wednesday after that, we're going to start having Wednesday services through Christmas. Uh, opportunities to gather, to hear his word, to reflect, to sing, uh, really to be, to be filled up all season long. Because this season and every Christmas season can be really, really positive and really, really negative. And we want to have these Wednesday night services to help you experience the good in what could otherwise be a super stressful, busy, exhausting time. So those will be at the Empty Cup, a coffee shop on Executive Park Drive at 6 p.m. Uh, and if you can't make it right at 6, show up a little late. We'll still love to have you there. And uh, they are going to loan us their space in the evenings for that service. It'll last about an hour. All right. Um, there are no other questions then that I have at the moment. If any came in that I missed, I apologize. Let me know and we'll try and answer them or address them next time. If you have any you'd like to talk about, but you're not comfortable asking uh, in a big public group, I would gladly meet with you. Emily will gladly meet with you. I know anybody on this stage would at some point gladly meet with you and grab coffee or lunch and uh, just talk about life and faith and hear your story more. Uh, before we go, we're going to do something we do fairly regularly. Um, something that I love here about The Point is we are a congregation that believes people are not always going to be here in this church. And our goal is not to fill these seats, though I certainly enjoy days where they're more full. Our goal is not to build our congregation and, and become the greatest, best church here in town. No, our goal is to connect people to Jesus, which means sometimes people come in and get connected with Jesus and then they leave. And we're sad because we love people, but we're excited because God is still moving in them as they go. 
So we're going to take a moment now, and I'm going to invite Alicia Mercer to come on up. Uh, Many of you over the last year have had a chance to meet Alicia. Uh, Alicia has been with us for just about a year in this church. It's been a really wild and fun ride. And in this season, God's leading her to go back to Frankfort, Kentucky, where she'll be closer to family. Uh, And we're going to miss her. Uh, We're excited she gets to be closer to family and experience what God's doing there. But we're going to miss her here. So whenever you or somebody else leaves, we want to take a moment to recognize, hey, we are thankful for you. And sometimes moving and leaving can feel lonely and isolating. And so we want you to know wherever God takes you, whether it's to Kentucky or Michigan or Oregon or any other part of the world, wherever he takes you, you're not going alone. But you have a church family here that loves you and cares about you and will continue to pray for you and encourage you as you need. So Alicia, receive this blessing from God and from this congregation. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. And may you go knowing that you are loved, you are cared for, and you are not alone. Amen. Alicia will probably be around uh, in the lobby after we're done. And... uh, I'll put her on the spot and say, if you have no idea who she is, feel free to come introduce yourself and say goodbye. If you're going to miss her like most of us will, um, feel free to give her big hugs and say, we love you and we'll see you later. Yeah. Church, that blessing's not just for her, but for you as well. So as you go, walk in his peace, know his love and trust in his promises that he is for you and not against you, and that his ways are better than our ways. Go in his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. 